Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, April 23rd, 2017. The share IDs for Friday, April 21st are, for the 7 a.m. Eastern meeting, 9862, and for the 10 a.m. Eastern meeting, 9864. This morning, A Vision for You presents Steps 5, 6, and 7. The big book was written as a set of directions for doing the 12 steps. The promise of the 12-step process is one of a spiritual awakening, a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery and overcome compulsive overeating. The 12 steps are a specific method for producing this personal transformation, to change from what we had become to that which our higher power intended us to be. Our study today primarily concentrates on steps 5, 6, and 7. Step 5, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Step 6, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. And step 7, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Joining us this morning is Ruth M., a recovered compulsive overeater from Illinois. Ruth spends a great amount of time intensively working with other compulsive overeaters, leading workshops and retreats, and carrying the message of recovery. And welcome to the line, Ruth. All right. Thanks, Lee. I appreciate it. I hope everybody can hear me. Can you hear me? Yes, very well. Thank you. Good. Okay, so uh, thank you, Leah. Thank you for this uh, another opportunity to talk. Uh, I am a big book thumper, and I do love the big books. So uh, it's a joy. It's a joy to learn about it. It's a joy to present it. And I can tell you that uh, that was not what my my idea was as a little kid. I thought, oh, I never thought like, oh, I'd love to grow up and be a glutton, and then eventually go and teach about how not to practice gluttony. But uh, that was uh, what happened to me. So uh, anyway, so we'll start. I just want to briefly, very briefly go what preceded five so we have a little context. Although you can listen to much more in depth, I have talks on steps one, two, three, and four. Um, that is, you can go to the website and get those and listen to those. So I'm not going to go in depth. But just to cover very, very briefly, uh, first I want to give credit to Joe and Charlie. I was honored to spend a weekend retreat with them in 1986 and then in 1987. And uh, so I always want to give them credit because I left that workshop in 86 and understanding the big book in a way I'd never understood it before. And I've been abstinent and, uh, re- since 1986, and that's not a coincidence. So, um, so basically, this book is a textbook. It's not like a dictionary where I want to know how to spell a word that begins with S, and I uh, start with A and just kind of get to, I get to S. That's obviously silly. Um, but the big book is not any. It would not be. It would be equally silly to just start getting in the middle of it, like on page 58, where they've seen a person fail. No, we have to start at the beginning. So, with Joe and Charlie, they answer three questions. First is, what is the problem? What is the problem? Is powerlessness, powerlessness, lack of power, and we have it with us. It's particular items of, in foods that we just cannot eat. Once those items are in our body, um, we cannot control. We cannot predict outcome. We cannot stop at will with no problem. 
So if we have powerlessness around food and unmanageability, then we've taken step one. What is the problem? Lack of power. What is the solution? Well, the solution is power. If the problem is lack of power, then the solution is power. And this power has to be a power greater than ourselves, which if we completely go into this solution, we will have a radical rearrangement of ideas, motives, and attitudes, which used to guide us, will be cast aside and something vastly different will take its place. So we're willing to do that. We're willing to let... Um, in step three, the decision is to now decide. We now have an option. We now know what the problem is, which is lack of power. We know what the solution is, the power greater than us. Do we, just, we have to look at that and decide which, which one do we want to go towards. And uh, hopefully those on the line have made that decision to go towards the solution, which is this power. Well, if we've made the decision to go towards this solution, in four, we've got to see what blocks us from accomplishing that solution. We want the solution of this contact with something greater than ourselves, we have to see what blocks us from having that contact. Because our life, up to the moment we've made this decision, has been a life run on self-will, self-forward riot. And now we're going to have to have a life run on God's will, or however you want to describe that power greater than you. We have to have that be the center of our life. And so we're going to have to see what blocks us. We're going to have to look at uh, those character defects, shortcomings, wrongs, all those words mean the same thing. So what is it within our personality that got us to be a glutton? What really made us uh, end up that way? And so in four, we've looked at, uh, we're going to look at uh, three, the three gro- the grosser handicaps, which is what it says on page 71. Step four is going to be grosser handicaps. Otherwise, we'll be writing the Great American Novel for the next few years, putting everything down, trying to figure it out, which is not. That's still playing God. We're going to put the obvious ones, the ones that will most likely cause us to eat compulsively. And so those are resentments, fear, and sex conduct. And then we'll see what's underlying that. And those things we're going to be looking at. And then in five, we're going to be talking to somebody about it. So when we look at four, very basically, we have a first column, which is resentment. We just put people, places, and things. The cause, just a couple words in the forms if you use Joe and Charlie Farms. Then we look at instincts, and all of us have three instincts. Um, we're humans. First is a social instinct. We're not meant, meant to live as hermits. Uh, we have to have contact with others. And in that contact, we have a relationship with ourselves, self-esteem, and we have a relationship with others, personal relationships. So we look at how are we doing in that own that inner ter- uh, communication. Is that what is that like? Mine was just unbelievable. Either I was grandiose or I was, you know, just the scum of the earth, and that's the only way I would talk to myself. So obviously problems. And I had no real friend among friends, worker among workers. I, I didn't. I didn't have. I was. I was in a world that I could be a, completely surrounded by people, but I was lonely because I was not connected. And then in the next instinct, we have security instinct, and those are two instincts. Again, material, the people, you know, food, clothing, shelter kind of comment. We need those basic things. But we also have an emotional security, the sense of feeling safe and secure in the world and at peace in that world. We're not emotionally secure. And then the last instinct is a sex conduct. And in that, uh, we have an instinct. If we don't have an instinct to procreate, the species would die. So we have acceptable and hidden we look at those three instincts, and we see how that resentment is causing, is being triggered by these instincts somehow out of line. They're they're not functioning. They're they're too blown up, or they're not expressing themselves appropriately. 
And from that, then, we want to look at the fourth column, which is the exact nature of a wrong. So in this inventory, the first, second, third column is just to get us to the fourth, because the fourth is where it's all at. That's the exact nature of wrongs. So that's our shortcomings. That's our character defects. We're going to now finally stop looking at the other side of the street in the first three columns, as we did, to look at our side of the street in the fourth column. And we're going to get some insight, painful as it will be, but also liberating and finally living in truth. We'll find out what it is that is behind all of this. And we'll find some basic core things that happens to be our story, which is so common in us, and not just compulsive eaters, but in addicts. And we'll find out we're selfish. We want what we want, when we want it, and how we want it. We're dishonest in that we not only lie to somebody, but we lie to ourselves. I mean, I thought when I walked in the door, I don't know how I'm fat. I, I don't know how that happened. Well, that's a lie. I clearly know now that anybody that ate the amount of food I ate would be fat. So... I was dishonest about my food. I was dishonest with others about what was my real motives. Um, I was dishonest in everything. So it's not just the outright lie. It's the omission of not saying something that's truthful because it won't look good for the mask that I put on. Um, it's the lie of believing things that aren't true and living by these delusional thoughts. So I was dishonest. I had no honesty. Um, and I and I was fearful, and uh, I was self-seeking in this. I was just, it was all about me. You know, it was self-oriented, and I'm sure it was inconsiderate, not only of the other person, but of myself, that I would live a life that had no integrity, no authenticity, no connect, real deep connection with God. So I was, I, I was living like on an island um, in, in my own little plans and designs. And inconsiderate of God, because I wouldn't have God run the show. So we see that is the essence of step four, and we really look at that, and we see who we are. It's not a pleasant sight, but it's necessary, because if we don't know who we are, we cannot let go of it. can't let go of what we don't know exists. And these steps, all of them, are about ego reduction, as Dr. Harry Peeble mentioned in the speech in 1955, in St. Louis at the International Convention for AA, ego reduction. He talked about hitting bottom, surrender, and ego reduction. And Joe and Charlie, when we look in, and as they talk about it, same thing. What we're talking about is not saying, here is my problems. Now I'm going to do a frontal attack, and I'm going to get rid of them, because I see they blocked me from God, and I've made that decision to be connected with God, that won't work because that frontal attack is called self-will. I'm getting what I want, when I want it, and how I want it. And that is selfishness. It seems to be a high motive. I'm going to run the show and get rid of that which blocks me. So now I'll have the relationship I want with God. No, there's too much I, 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 sung to the tune of me, me, me. So we are not about ever going after and getting and acquiring and doing what we want, which made us an addict, we're about letting go of, and in letting go, we move, we let ourselves then move towards that, which is greater, God's will. So it's ego reduction. Each step does that. An admission that we're, that we're a compulsive eater, uh, an admission that we can't, we can't get the power on our own, it has to be a power in ourselves, an admission that we have to make a decision and let God run the show. That's ego reduction. Step four, looking at as best as we can at that moment when we take the step four, coming to know who we are. That's ego reduction. 
And when we come into step five, oh, this is an ego reduction too. We're going to be, we're going to give this step, this step away to ourselves, to God, and to another. That's ego reduction. And of course, six, seven, all of them are ego reduction. Not by us trying to get closer to God, but by us letting our ego get reduced to its proper size to serve its proper job as it was originally given to us uh, at birth or before birth. We had this personality that got out of whack. So we're going to let it reduce itself by just doing the directions of the big book that then will cause the ego to be reduced so that it, we can properly now not have the ego be the block from us to God, but actually is actually flowing and, and coordinating and facilitating as best we can an optimal relationship with God. Um, so we just got it out of whack. Most of us not by intent, but it's there. So now we come to five, and we're now going to honestly, as best we can, more honest, and the person we pick hopefully will help us out if we're not as honest, and let us know, okay, really, what's the motive. So that'll be fine. That's part of this whole process. So now that I know some things about myself, and I don't like these things I found out about myself, I now have to have enough humility to ask somebody else to hear it out to hear what I've, I've learned, usually that person is our sponsor. It does not have to be our sponsor. It can be somebody else, uh, but most common we have it as a sponsor. We hopefully have had somebody that we've worked with through the first four steps. We have a relationship where we trust the sponsor to honor an, our anonymity because the person is not to repeat what's said in here, unless we specifically give permission for something to be repeated. Um, it, that's usually not happening, but if say we, we need the sponsor to say something, that'll be fine. But other than that, no, then the sponsor hears this and listens. And when, as we present the, the our fifth step, which is step four, when I um, give, when I listen to people giving me a fifth step, I have tremendous honor and feel so blessed that somebody would choose me. Because nobody in their right mind would have chosen me before I came in program, nor in my beginning years of program. I came in program in 82 and got absent in 86. I was not capable of being God's vessel that could hold a sacred space for you to present yourself and listen with love, which doesn't mean that I'm not going to say everything you say is fine. That's not, no. But to have... God's voice as best I can, my ear and the voice of God listening and then speaking as I'm supposed to speak. So I feel very honored that I would even um, have that kind of development in the program, that I would even be right to, to hear somebody out. And so I've, I've heard many people. Um, I look back at my uh, fourth step. It was the best I could do back then. Uh, but you know, and, and, but there's still a lot, a lot of ego. I mean, I still have a lot of ego, but I mean, I had a real lot of ego back then because I was new in the program. Um, but the person listened to me with love, um, pointed out some things, and um, one of the greatest moments was, um, as I'm giving away my fifth step, the person hearing me said, well, your, your mom rules you from the grave. And what she was trying to say to me was that my resentment towards my mother, though my mother was dead, still controlled me and dominated me. And that, that was the biggest thing that was apparent from my fifth step, and clearly that was true. So I, at that moment, hated my mother. I, caused, I believe she was the cause of all my pain and all my misery, 
any kind of difficulty was because of her. It was always blamed on her. Well, I'd done that up to the moment I'd done that fifth step, so obviously I'd continue to do it, even saying my fifth step. And I also knew when she said it, and we talked about it, that I was going to really, I was going to have to do more step work on this, and that in the end I was going to have to make peace with that and not let resentment control me, because I knew if that resentment continued to be in me, I would not be at peace, and I would I would eat compulsively. I mean, that would be that's what I had done, so I would do it. And so it, it forewarned me what was going to come. Was going to, this was just merely beginning in a sense. I was going to have to work with myself. So that was the greatest lesson I learned from Step 5. Uh, people can come and, and say you know, what all that is. I'm sure we'll be doing quite a Q&A and about this. But we need to honestly look at ourselves. And I would not have been able to get that wisdom given to me because I was so enmeshed in my resentment that I would have just been, I was just sinking, drowning in it. And so I couldn't see beyond it and what was now going to have to happen for me to be at peace with myself. And I wanted to be at peace with myself and, of course, then at peace with God uh, about it. And so I was going to do more step work. Well, that's a no-brainer. Anybody else from the outside could have told me that, but I couldn't tell myself that. So I'm giving you an example of what happened in the middle of the fifth step. Again, there were many things. And subsequent to that, I've listened to many four steps, and there have been some real insight. There's been, one, there's been sometimes a sense of somebody heard me out and uh, didn't die. I thought that my sponsor at the time was going to have a heart attack and die in the middle of my fifth step. Who could survive listening to this? I was barely surviving listening to myself. And yet she is alive to this day. She did not die in the middle of a fifth step. And I myself have never died in the middle of a fifth step. So <laughs> so it does happen that we can we, we will make it. Uh, it it'll, it'll be fine. It was just me so self-centered. Uh, so we have a sense of um, somebody's heard me and has not rejected me, has heard the worst of me, and is still uh, is with me here and, and listening to me. And a relief that it's out. Some of these deep, dark secrets that I've told no one, somebody has heard it. They survived. I've survived the experience of being honest and talking. And it does move us towards more honesty. We're going to live life more in truth, and that's where that's what that is, is truth. So to do this, we have to have somebody that's neutral, listening, that's not so caught up in the energy around what we're saying that can give us that sacred space, which is required, really, that the person knows that we're there and we're just going to listen and, and we'll give support and guidance as, through it. But but we're not running the show, but we're going to give that. And when we give that to that person that gives us their fourth step, um, we give them a great gift, and which we are supposed to do. So for me, um, I prepare myself uh, when I'm going to have here a fourth step. I prepare. I spend some time with God. And, and uh, you know whatever is said is fine. You know I'm I'm fine with that. There's nothing that really surprises me at this point. I had a job where I heard some things. You know child abuse neglect for a long time in my life, and I heard some things that um, hopefully most people will never hear again, and I'll never be able to hear in their life. Um, so I've heard a lot, but nevertheless, anytime anything is said, it's fine. It's I'm there to hear it and support that person to work through whatever that whatever happens, whatever they think about themselves. So um, so what it says in the big book here that um, 
one of the points, and it's in the fifth line up from on page 70, 72, says if we skip this vital step, step we may not overcome drinking. Um, I I think if we skip any step, we'll probably not overcome drinking. But it's very clear to let you to let us know. So there can be apprehension. There obviously some things nobody's heard, and uh, some of it's criminal. Um, some of it's uh, just ex extreme shame. Um, some of it is just uh, a fear, maybe that if it's out there, what will be done to me? Um, you know, we've lived a life of a mask, a facade fake something that we present to the world while simultaneously we have within us the chatter that's just relentlessly pounding on us, criticizing us too. We seem to go with these double things and now it's time to be presenting this. So um, I always prepare with God and uh, you know I'm ready to listen to whatever needs to be said and I in my mind am creating a, a sacred space for that person um, as much love as I can give that person as they talk to me. And, and that's the energy I I hold as best as I can when I hear people. So this double life that we live, as it talks about on 73, and uh, we're double life. We, we're the actor. As again, remember the, the reference to actor on page 60, 62, and 61, 62 in this talk about the actor. And um, that... We, we have this persona we present, but when we uh, when we go and get along, along with ourselves at time, we really see who we are and we can't stand it. Um, so we have to find somebody. And the key they talk about in this in these four pages, because uh, Step 5 talks about on page 80, 72 to 75, honesty. We have to be honest. You know, I'm not going to be any more or less abstinent if you withhold something from me. It will be your relationship with God that will be impaired by not having the lack of, uh, the ability to be that honest that you need to be to do this fifth step. So we always must be hard on ourselves but considerate of others and, and how we ourselves are receiving it and also we as we give the, fifth, the, the fourth step away. Um, so consider it. So that's the key. When um, when a person does do this, there'll be times where maybe it could happen. Um, maybe you'll hear something, and inside you're going, "Oh my God, I can't believe that was said," because it may be something you're just not familiar with. You don't necessarily know how to handle it. And at that point, um, just to say to God, "You know, I I don't know what to do with this information," and God says, "That's fine. I'm taking it. I'm taking care of it." So you just you just listen, and that's fine. And as the, as the person talks. You hear more, and it's all right. You know, it'll it'll work through. And later, uh, you know, if something comes up, you can always talk to your sponsor. Heard something I don't really have never heard before. Um, how do I process that? Sponsor works with you. Um, but whatever we hear is, is okay. And whatever we say is okay. That it, it has to come out. It is killing us. Living a life falsehood, of presenting something we're not, finally that mask comes off just a little and somebody sees it and sees who we really are. And loves is just the same. I think that's uh, the, uh, just a fantastic gift. And I knew, I know from my, in my fifth step, that's what I felt. I was loved by my sponsor. I told her all the worst of the worst as I could see it then. And I still was loved by her. Um, it meant the world to me. 
And from that, I could continue to work towards more honesty, uh, speaking more honestly to myself and to others. So that's the key. Um, and so basically when, uh, when I've worked with people, I have them do the, uh, the Joe and Charlie Farm. So this is how basically what I'll do. They'll go over the columns. You, you wrote a column. You went down a column, column one, two, three, and four. So column one, two, three, and four. So now when you give the fifth step, you're going to be reading across. And so now that's the form. And and I'm I'm listening to everything. Um, and I'm honing in on what I'm hearing in step five because there's the piece where we're getting insight. So as the person's reading across step five, um, there might be things where um, through no fault of, their, of them, they may have a little confusion or maybe they're minimizing it, not necessarily consciously even. Um, or they may have patterns that are clearly emerging. So um, what we'll do is as they, as they read it to me, um, I might clarify, um, you know, you didn't check that box. Um, is there a reason why? And of course there's blah, blah, and there might be a reason why. Or um, I saw that you checked that box. Now can you explain that? How come you checked that box? So I'll understand more what, why you did that. So basically it's not me running the show, but it's for me to have clarity. And much of the time it's for me to have them have clarity, for them to pick up on something maybe they can't see because of the emotionality we have when we're given this, this uh, fifth step, uh, or when the person's given the fourth step to us. So I'll, I'll be doing that, so I'll be hearing things. And, you know, I even at the end of when we finish the resentment part, I say, what is the, what are you, what is the most important thing you learn from this far in this inventory? Is there anything patterns you're learning, anything you see from not just concentrating on one line at a time? And they, it's clear, oh, yeah. Everyone, I was dishonest. Never was I honest with myself. Never was I honest at all with God. I mean, I, you know, I rejected God, you know, and so, so they'll begin to see that this is not, it, these are not compartmentalized issues, but they really are looking at the key patterns that keep coming up. And those things that keep coming up are those character defects. And now we begin to see how they've manifested in our lives. And because of our character defects and then the resentment that we get, because we're being dishonest, you know, we think we can play God. We cannot. Uh, we're selfish wanting we want. We see these things. Selfishness, we think, is at the root of our troubles, as we learned earlier in step four. So, yes, the resentment. What's underneath resentment? Selfishness. What's under, you know, the fear of selfishness? Um, yes, we'll find it. It's being checked probably every time. Uh, and so we find out that we are a life run on self-will, and it has caused huge uh, self-will life. We have seen now the damage it has caused. And we cannot live on selfishness. We cannot live a life where we're dishonest with people um, and with ourselves. It's not going to work. Look what happened when we did that. And, yes, we see the mess we caused. Probably not by intent. Most of us don't intentionally try to create all the damage we do. But now we see it in stark reality. And we want, we want to not have that kind of a uh, – we don't want that. We, do, we don't want to cause harm to people. We don't want to cause harm to ourselves, and we don't want to ha- cause harm to God. And we see that when we do the inventory, and then we do the fear, we see the same thing. And we see the same thing with our sex content. We don't want to be this way. We've ended up this way, but we don't want that anymore. We are glad – we are glad simultaneously – we look at it and say, oh, my God, look at this. Oh, look at all this I've just given away. 
Yes, but we're when we're glad though that it is now out. It's kind of like we got it out now, and we're looking at it, and and we're feeling some relief that we can be honest with somebody, and somebody can hear us out, and not condemn us. So we have that relief. Uh, we can look now at this these defects we're learning so much about now, and it's kind of oh that's ugly. But we have relief because we know that. Now we know, and we want to let them go because we see what's happened and how it's hurt people, and, and we don't want to be, a, you know, something that's, that caused that much destruction. So that's what happens. It's very liberating while troubling at the same time to see how low we, we have gone, but liberating to see what, that's what was underneath all that. That's what caused me to act that way. That's what I don't want to be a person like that. And that's liberating. We cannot, get, we cannot let go of what we don't know is there. So we have to be aware of these key personality traits that we now, now not only are we aware of them, now in step five we understand them. And being aware of them and understanding them then prepares us to let go of them, which is in the following step six and seven. So it's all a process. Um, when I work with people, they want to come into step four uh, because they want to, they want they want the they want to now see what it is that caused them to be like they had been and knowing that if they don't do this they will go back to food they will have to go back or switch addictions to something else that could happen too so that's the key that's what makes this so powerful and and we can live in these two dichotomies we used to always be black or white either it was great. We were grandiose, or it was horrible, and living in shame. We were these two things. But this is a, an exercise that gets us right in the middle. So in the middle, we see the, the destructiveness of the character defects simultaneously being liberated by having somebody hear us and love us as we are and see the root cause and we let it go. And in that, there's strength and energy moving us to God. So we're living in both. We can have a, a moment where we, there's a part that goes, oh, yuck, and a part goes, yes, I'm excited. I'm now moving towards my truth, which is what I've always really now found out I, w I want to do. I just didn't know it before now. And we can live in both energies at the same time. And that's a sign of spiritual maturity. We'll begin to live in ambiguity and uncomfortability. We've always wanted to be comfortable in our lives, right? We want to be comfortable. That's what we thought. So we ate because we were uncomfortable. We were not at ease, as Dr. Stilkworth said. And in that uncomfortability and not at ease, we taught, we did something that took the edge off, and then we could get through it. And that was called these certain things that we had in food. And we would go chase them regardless of any food that had them in them. We were going to go get it. And now we have come to a place where we're not going that way because it, it was a boomerang that turned against us, but we're going to have something else that's going to give us something. But to get there, we're going to have to be comfortable with uncomfortability because that is also inherent in, these, in the fourth step and the fifth step. We have to be comfortable with uncomfortability. We have to face reality, and we will be uncomfortable. We'll not go back to the food which we originally gave us comfortability, but now will give us more uncomfortability. We will have to stand in our own space in the time in our life where we really look at it, and in that moment, in letting go of, then, then in letting go, there is a vacuum created in which God comes and takes that space. And as that vacuum is created and God takes that space, 
we have a sense of the presence of God because now it's going to – we've got a little less self-will in doing four and five. And in that space, God can fill, and we get to fill a more of a presence. You know, it's not about in our prayers when we pray for God to show us and lead us in life the way we're meant to be lived. Far more, I think, is when we just sit in silence and feel and realize and feel that presence, asking nothing of God, just to be near God, near God. And we can come to that prayer and mean that prayer when we let these, knowing what they are, and be willing to let them go. So that's what's coming through putting it out on paper, talking to somebody, then we want to now be ready to let them go. And that's how we get into six. But let's look at the promises of step five, and that's on the middle of page 75, uh, second paragraph. So, again, once I've, when the person has finished step four, we'll go over the step four promises on page 70. And we'll see if they, if the person, yes, I believe this is true. And let me just read that quickly. I did it in my talk, but we'll just cover the step four promises. And it is page 70, paragraph 3. And it says, if we've been thorough about our personal inventory, we've written down a lot. We have listed and analyzed our resentments. We've begun to commence to see their terrible destructiveness. We've begun to learn tolerance, patience, and goodwill towards all men, even our enemies, for we look on them as sick people. We have listed the people we have hurt by our conduct, and we're willing to straighten out the past if we can. That's the promises, and that's the state we're in as we begin step five. Now that we completed step five, then I go over the promises with the sponsor, and she'll read this and see if this is true. Did this happen as a result of doing step five? It says, second paragraph on page 75, we pocket our pride and go to it, illuminating, illuminating every twist of character, every dark cranny of the past. Once we have taken the step withholding nothing, we are delighted. We can look the world in the eye. We can be alone at perfect peace and ease. Our fears fall from us and begin to feel the nearness of our Creator. We may have had certain spiritual beliefs, but now we begin to have a spiritual experience. The feeling that the drink problem has disappeared will often come strongly. We feel we are on the broad highway walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe. So that's what happens. As a result of taking step five, this is it. Already there's a nearness of the Creator we did not have before. We've had, we've been, getting, we've been continually getting closer to God with each step, of course, because the ego gets reduced. There creates a vacuum. That energy that we've been holding that blocks God dissipates, and as it does, God can come into that space with us. And now, in this fifth step, we're having this experience. We also know one of the promises here that the drink problem has disappeared will often come strongly. And what is it talking about there? It's talking about mental obsession. Because in step one, we've put the food, we've had entire abstinence, which is we've put the foods down, in which those ingredients are in there that trigger and make us go crazy as an addict where we can't stop. we put those down. So there's no physical allergy to the craving. That's gone in step one. It doesn't exist anymore. There is no physical allergy to the craving. But the second part of, this, of, the, of the problem is mental obsession. And that, the next five, 11 steps are going to take care of. And so now, by the time we get to five, there will be stretches in our lives where we, that mental session will disappear. Now it will come back, disappear and come back, but there will be moments where it, we don't even have a thought to eat compulsively. By the time we've gotten to five already. I mean, what a promise that is. 
So our mental obsession has been been going away, going away. Our sponsor is monitoring that, kind of seeing how we're doing it. You know, uh, intensity, frequency, duration, those are things I'm looking for. I check in, kind of see how the sponsor is doing periodically because sometimes they're not aware of it. And I can see that it's going away. And by the time they're five, that the relationship with food has already had a great change because now we're not talking about physical and craving. That's gone. Now we're talking about the fact we don't think to eat compulsively. Even this exercise of going into this space uh, with somebody and presenting ourselves as we really are, which is uncomfortability, which we've always eaten over because we eat to be comfortable and at ease, but we're actually, doing, we're actually going and doing this without that happening. And that means already we're willing to live in uncomfortability with God. We're already doing it. We did it in four and we did it in five. And that's a radical change because before we never wanted to go and live with uncomfortability and ambiguity and uncertainty. But now we grow, begin to grow up. And that's growing up when we're willing to live in it and be comfortable with uncomfortability, comfortable with ambiguity, comfortable with uncertainty. Because that is life. That's the essence of life. It's not going to be on our plans and designs where everything's got to work according to as we try to make it work. Being the one that's the bulldozer that's out there just mean and egotistical or, you know, kind, generous, and loving, as we talked about with the actor on 63, we're not going to do those things now. We'll slip into them, but we'll now see the damage it's caused, and we're really actively going to try to live in the midpoint. That's where all growth is. It's always in the middle. It's going to never be on extremes, black and white. That won't happen. So now that we've done this, and let's say I, I've given this fifth step away and I've gone over this promise and I see that these are coming true. The joke that Joe and Charlie gives, and I love the joke, it says, where in this big book does it, do you get to rest on your laurels? Well, they made the joke about, well, here's the one spot in the, in the big book. Here's where we get to rest on our laurels. Here it is. The next paragraph, we're going to get to rest on our laurels for an hour. One hour, it's the one spot in the big book where we get to rest on our laurels. Their joke is, well, returning home, we find a place where we can be quiet for an hour, carefully reviewing what we have done. We thank God from the bottom of our heart that we know him better. And then we take this book down from the shelf. We go and we look over these 12 steps. We see if there's anything that's lacking. Yeah, we rest our laurels. That's their joke. But anyway, we only get quiet, you know, just quiet. Uh, we look and see if there's anything left. I will say to the sponsoree, you know, please pray to God. If there's anything that's been left out, I've done my best. But if anything is, please have it come to me. And, yes, sometimes I have a person say, you know what, something popped into my mind in this hour or even the next day or two popped in, didn't know about it, but now I'm thinking about it. So probably just on the phone. We'll just cover that one thing. Good. It was something that needed to be there, and it just didn't come through, but now it is come through. So we do pray for God to say, if there's anything left out, I want to do this step the way it was meant to be done. I want to do the step five. So if anything's here, you might have a piece of paper and, you know, paper there and just jog it down in this quiet hour where you're meditating for an hour, quiet hour, praying and thanking God, going over everything, see if things have to happen. So there's, this is a reflective time. And that's the last thing that's done. You think, well, the end is, okay, I've given it away, now it's over. Actually, they give you some more directions. Well, we have this quiet hour. If there's anything that pops up, just have it come. Write it down. Fill in the, the you can go across things. It's just one thing. So you just fill the, each of the columns on this one issue. Um, and then, you know, share that. And, and if, again, if anything needs to happen, it will. 
But one of the, what does happen now from all of this is now that we know about all of this, then we are going to move to step six, and and we have we have got we've prepared the ground, fertile ground. We fertilized it. We're ready to. We're ready now. It's ready to have something, the seeds to be placed in, in the ground now because we really have looked and seen the damage done. And so we are willing for God to have these things. We see the damage they cause. We've done that for them. We've done it in five. And now at this point, the logical thing, yes, we want God to have this. So when we say step six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Well, we see what we're talking about. And yes, if we can answer satisfaction that we are, we have now done this reflective time, then we have emphasized willingness as being indispensable. The key thing, ready, willingness, willing, ready, these two things are interchangeable, and we mean the same thing. So we are willing, we are willing to let God have them. We are willing and we are ready to let God have anything which we have admitted are objectable. We find out what they are, we know what they are, and we look down at, at this, these papers, we know what they are, our sponsors worked with this, and now we're willing to let God have all of these things. No strings attached here. You get any and all of them. Us holding on to them will only take us back into self and riot, and look how well our best efforts in self and riot got us to this place. Yeah, you can have them. Yes. We, I want you to have them. No strings attached. Can you have every one? Yes, take them all. Now, there is a six-step prayer. It's the last sentence of this paragraph. If we still cling to something we will not let go of, we ask God to help us be willing. And we'll have to say this prayer over and over because did we not see how how damaging it was? Yeah, so we that's our step step six. Now, many people will come to step six and they're like, ready, no problem, see it, what got to have it. There may be one thing or two that we somehow want to hang on to, but in our gut we know it's not going to work, right? So we do want God to have it. And there's a real reason that Bill, when he wrote these, uh, right, when the first time he put these down, he separated out six and seven. They are two distinct energies, and we have to understand the willingness to let go of all that we thought was so precious and important to us at one point, but now we now truthfully can look at and see their damage and destructiveness, and now we want God to have that because we don't want to live that way. It, it got us to be a glutton. It got us to do a lot of things we shouldn't have done. It caused a lot of harm. It, it, no, it caused us to be a, uh, lonely in the world because that's what happens. So we are willing. We we know what we're talking about, and we're willing to like let God have it. So this is all about God. It is yours. It is yours. And we're willing to do that. And that's something that we do with God. We God, you know, The sponsor's not going to do that for us. We have to say with God, yeah. We've already spent that hour of quiet reflection. And we can really immediately turn read this one paragraph, because step six is the first paragraph on page 76, and we can really move into step six right then, really, in that moment of reflection and be willing to let it go. Um, and we will have talked to our sponsor for some reason. We're not willing to let something go. We'll know. Um, that's going to probably be to doom and gloom, but we still may struggle with it, and we still talk to our sponsor. So let's say now we are willing. We have the prayer. Now the seven-step prayer, which is the next paragraph, what is the next energy? The first energy is to let God just have everything. With no strings attached, you got it. You're in charge. 
that defects, I know what they are. They're yours now. The seventh step, prayer. And sometimes people uh, don't understand this prayer. I did not understand it. I was hearing what people were telling me in the meetings. I repeated that. But today I can look back and say, that's not what that prayer said. But uh, what I heard people saying, it says, humbly ask God to remove our shortcomings. Well, I thought step seven prayer was that I was asking God to remove my shortcomings. That's not humility. Humbly ask God to remove our shortcomings is not asking God to remove my shortcomings. That's self-will and riot. You see, God doesn't need to be told what to do. My God doesn't need to be told. Like, God needs to know that it's now time for God to do what I want God to do. Excuse me? What kind of relationship is that with God? Uh, I'm going to tell God what the defects are. Like, really? I just barely got in the game. I've just barely done a fourth step and a fifth step. I'm now willing to let those things go. Those are my grosser handicaps. But I, I can't say that I know exactly what they all are and that God should remove them or that God should remove what I know is important to be removed now. That is not the job. That is taking back self-will. So the seven-step prayer, humbly asking God to remove our shortcomings, is what the seventh step. But the word is humbly here. Humility and and praying to God is never going to be asking God to remove shortcomings, that I define what they are and telling God when he's supposed to remove them. That is not humbly. So what is humbly? Humbly is saying, my creator, I'm now willing that you should have all of me good and bad. So we start off with that. You know, you put that egg and that sperm together and you got me. Before I knew of me, before I existed, you decided to put the two things together. You created me. You knew before I even existed exactly what you what was coming together. And you knew that you would always be there for me. I... You know, I lost my way and did not believe that, but I believe it today. And I know that you knew what was best. And because you knew what was best and what you put together and you know my future, I do not pray to you to remove the defects that I've now learned about. Ooh, they're uncomfortable. Please take them away. No, what I'm saying to you, I don't do that to you. First, I'm just going to say, you can have all of me. I'm not coming to you to tell you what I don't want about me. I am saying I want you to have all of me, good and bad. You get it. I'm surrendering the essence of who I am, all of me as I've known me up to now, and it is yours. I'm putting it unconditionally in your hands with no claim of what I want from you. I do not come to you to ask you to do something for me. I have learned really about my defects such that I know I do not dare ask that. I simply hand it to you. This is what I have. It is yours. You do whatever you want to do with that. You're now running the show and and they're 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 yours they're yours now i give that with some humility i'm giving it to you and then now that i give it to you i just ask that you remove from me every single defect or character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows since i've given it all to you this personality to you then with no strings attached then anything that that you see blocks me from doing your will, serving you and others, whatever you see from your perspective, whatever that is, you please remove that from me. I don't know enough to know exactly what all that is, but it's yours. You have it all, and whatever you want, do what you need to take it away from me. As you decide, you're calling the shots. That's humility. And last, grant me strength to go out from here to do your bidding. So give me the strength to live this life that I've I've given it to you. 
That's the seven-step prayer. That's the prayer that we're asking of God. It is never to ask God to remove a defect. You know, there might be some stranger out there that needs, for some reason, because God's in charge of 7 billion people, what's ideal for 7 billion people, like I can know what's best for 7 billion people all at one moment, right? No, God knows what's best. So maybe a defect I have, it's indispensable that there, that defect will manifest to the stranger I'm going to encounter in 17 days that I don't know about. And that defect will manifest to that one because it maximizes that one's healing to move towards God. And I can't, and I'm now trying to tell God to remove it now. No, that stranger is going to see that in me. And that will make all the difference in the world that God needs to have that. So there's another defect God's going to decide I'm going to have less of, but not the one I think God needs to have removed. You see what I mean? I cannot dare call that humility to be telling, okay, I got these things, remove them. Why am I doing that in a selfish way? I'm uncomfortable now. Please get rid of them. I don't like them now. I mean, I've done all this work in four, five, you know, four, five, and six, so please get rid of them. No. God does not need to be told what to do. God needs to hear your willingness and humility to have all of you given to God. All of me is yours. That is the essence of seven. I now have come to know my my personality and all that it has caused and the mess I've caused, and now you have it. All of me is yours. I give it to you. Do what you want with it. Anything that blocks me from doing what you want to serve you and others, please do that. On your terms, your ways, you're in charge. And just give me strength to go out here and do what you want me to do because that's what I'm dedicating my life to. I want to serve you. And I have messed it up, but now learning how I didn't, I'm now ready to serve you. I come to you. It is yours now. That's the energy of, of, of step which is an energy I don't hear when I mistakenly when I heard it in meetings I didn't understand I understand it that way now it's a huge powerful prayer and it's a huge thing we're saying we're willing to let God take all of us and do what God wants with us now we were never willing to have that kind of relationship with God but now in seven we are and that is now okay and I've got this but I see also that I, this damage I've done to others, I have harmed people, and I need to go to them and clean it up. And, of course, then we're ready to go and then do eight and nine. But we do. And so you see the difference between four, six and seven. They really have two energies. One's just turning things over to God, specifically giving. And then the next is, now you got all of me and do what you want. So they come in as two separate acts because they are two energies, but then they merge perfectly together when we've done them. And that's what we do. Now, from this point forth, as I, when I work with people, after they've done the step three promise, um, then that becomes a daily prayer in, the, in theirs. And then, of course, the step seven promise becomes a daily part of their prayer time. They can have other prayers and all, but these are in the book. Please pray these prayers every day because we can always slip back. This, deep, this personality is deeply entrenched, so please, you're, you're in charge. Um, so those are the things I see in four, uh, four five, six, and seven. So one of the things that um, I'm just going to end with a, a story um, that was very powerful for me recently. When we come to a relationship with God, where we're really invoking this, you, you got all of me, do what you want, you're in charge, whatever you want to do with me, I'm fine. So I, I want to give you a story. This happened uh, two weeks ago today, and um, 
I was coming back from St. Louis. I live in Alton, but I was coming back from St. Louis, and I was going. To, I was coming home, and I came off the interstate, and at that spot, I, I turn and I go north directly to home. Um, and as I um, come off this interstate, there's a knowing within me that I should go in the opposite direction. Now, in my little plans and design, you don't go south if you're supposed to go north. I know enough to know that doesn't happen. But I come off the interstate, and there's this sense within me about needing to go in the opposite direction. And I had remembered when I was coming to St. Louis, I looked and saw the gas prices in Missouri cheaper than Illinois. I always get my gas before I go back to Illinois. And I saw that, you know, I need a gas. I'll make sure I get the gas because I'm going right by that station, you know, blah, blah. And so I come off the interstate. I see uh, the gas. I see the I, I go, okay, I'll just get gas here. And I don't come off the interstate. I drive. I stay, or don't come off the interstate. I, I, don't, I have a route called Route 367. So I'm staying on Route 367. I'm going home, and I don't get off. Now I look and I see the prices. Oh, okay, fine. And that and that energy is going south. I got to go south. And I get to the next exit, which is another mile away. And that energy, got to go south. Got to go south. So I come off the interstate. I mean, I come off the route 367. I come off, have to go to a stop sign, have to turn around and come back and then go back. Um, one of the things was a little trick. I was kind of making sure God got me to go south. And um, as I came off the interstate, there was a thought, oh, the price of gas is here. And I remember there was a little gas station two miles to the south, in the other direction, and they're a little slower, and they might take an hour or two to drop those prices when the prices drop, when the big guy, you know, the big station. And so I had, the previous time I filled up gas, I had come off, saw 239, and, and went back two miles, and it was 219. And he had just changed it. And there was the thought, oh, remember what happened the last time? And then immediately the thought was, but it won't happen this time. Still go. You're still going to go. You're going to go south. So um, anyway, I turned around. Now I'm two miles. Now I've got another mile. Now I'm coming back. So now it's uh, this trip is going to be the, I'm going to go a mile. That's one mile. mile back to where I was. And then two miles back to the station. So we've got a four-mile trip. Plus I've got to stop and, and stop lights and get myself back. So then I go, and I go back. I'm going now south. And as I get close to the second gas station, I see it says 236. It was 235 in the other. And I knew, and I was right, I knew. And then the, and then that energy said, go south. Keep going. And as soon as I got past the gas station, I knew why. And I looked in the distance, and I, and I saw two people on the pavement laying there. And I, and I saw people kind of around them, kind of a little chaotic, not really knowing what to do. And I knew it was really bad. It was really bad, and I knew that nobody was really giving them first aid. And then I knew why I was supposed to go south. Now, looking back now, I realized that this time of going this way and taking this, I was told to go south before that accident happened, very probably, just in the time, because it had just happened. And so I rushed up as fast as I could, and, 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 and I ran up. Uh, these two people uh, I learned were on a motorcycle and there had something that happened. And I came up to the first person and I got to her and I took her pulse and she was dead. She was dead. And I ran, out and I ran over to the other one and, and the man, they were these two young people, he still had his helmet on. And, and, I, and I came down and this woman didn't know what to do. She said, just, just stay awake, stay awake. And I said, it's okay. I know first aid, CPR, I'll be fine. I'll let me take care of him. And um, he, he was breathing. He was still alive and 
you know, and he was breathing shallow. He was in and out of conscious. He looked bad, but he was not bleeding out. And I just got down on my knees, and I just touched him, and I just got down there. I created a sacred space for him, told him I was there. I was there to protect him and take care of him. You know, ambulance had been called. He'd be taken care of. I was going to be there with him. Don't worry, I'll be there. I'll be with you. And I gave him all the love I could. God, I can just God give me all the love I can give him. And I just did that for him. And I, I don't know if he even heard a word of, because he was in and unconscious. He was not in good shape. But it didn't matter. I was giving it to him anyway. And um, anyway, yes, the police came, and I just said, if he's in and unconscious, I'm, I'm here with him. They were fine. They kind of fine, and I just kept. And then the ambulance came. The ambulance was only two miles from where we were. Got there. Pretty quick. Although in that, when you lose, when there's no time and space, when time ceases to exist, it, it slowed down so much for me. But I'm sure it came very quickly. But it seemed to take a while, of course, because here I was with this man, trying to still stay alive. And they came and uh, they worked on him and they got him and he was alive. And they put him in the ambulance. I learned later he didn't make it. He died. We got to the hospital. Uh, but they took him away. And then I went and asked somebody what happened. Now I'm going to find out what happened. And they kind of told me. And and um, the motorcycle had been in a group of motorcycles. This was the last motorcycle. They were at the end, and uh, the light was yellow, and they were going to run that light. I, anybody out there ever try to run a yellow light? Sure, I have. It turned red before they came to the intersection. And, and they had hit a car, and, uh, and uh, they didn't make it. And uh, so I looked over at the, the, car, the two people that were in that car, and they were traumatized. They looked over, and this person's dead, and... This other one, had, who knows, would live or not. And I could see them, and nobody was comforting them. And so I went over, and I, they were two young people, adult male was driving the car, and the female next to him. And I said, how are you doing? And he said, oh, typical guy. Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. And then he kind of said about it. He saw the body flying over his car, and it voice trailed off. And then looked up and said he was fine. I said, okay, fine. Went around the car and put my hands, hands out to her. And she just fell in my arms, and she just cried. And I held her for a while, and um, then um, then I, I just kept had my hand on her, and she was okay with that, and was with her, and uh, you know, it called. Mom was coming to help her, and um, you know, and then I could feel her body twitching inside. It was just all the adrenaline there. And, um, but I I was with her. I wouldn't leave her, and uh, created a sacred space for her just to be where she was. And then her mom came and. She talked to her mom briefly, and then she pointed to her mom and said, this woman, she you know, told her, and the mom just came over and gave me a big hug, and then, and then took her daughter, and the daughter melted into her arms, and she sung, as they say, this old Negro spiritual softly into her ear, and just loved her unconditionally. And, you know, I can tell you that that moment that I, I still remember it, of course, being with that young man just before he died, and and uh, with her, and you know, if I had done self will self riot, I never would have gone south. I would have known to go north. I don't know why that thought came in my mind. I'm going to go north. But I've lived long enough in this recovery to know what I was supposed to do, and I did what I was supposed to do. And at that moment, I gave God everything. Just do what you want with me here. I did that when I decided to go south because I knew I was supposed to go south. And when I got to the scene, I gave God everything again, and I was there. You know, whatever God wants to do, do with me, 
That's what this prayer is about. That's the seven-step prayer. That's the prayer I prayed. That's why I was able to give what I could give, because I was doing what God wanted. And the defects were taken care of. There was nothing blocking me. this morning and for bringing to life steps five, six, and seven through the big book and your personal experience. Thank you very, very much. Ruth, contact information will be given at the conclusion of this recording, so you'll want to stay tuned for that. And yes, we will now transition to a question and answer segment. If you'd like to pose a question, please press star one to unmute. And uh, direct your question, please, to Ruth regarding steps five, six, and seven. Kathy K. Matt M. Kathy K. W. Matt M. Rifka A. Rifka A. Who was after Matt M? Jamie W. Roz G. Roz G. Jamie W. Okay, that's a good group. Thank you. All right, Kathy Kay, please go ahead. Thank you, Rhea, for your service, and thank you, Ruth. It was just wonderful to hear you again. I uh, met you on the plane ride back from Virginia Beach, and I'm so honored to be here today. Um, I have a question for you about Step 7. I was taught uh, not too long ago um, that part of step seven was partnering with God and practicing the opposite of my character defects. Um, actually, I think it was Don C. who introduced me to this idea, so that when I notice a particular character defect popping up, not only do I bring it to God with humility, but I also try to practice um, what I believe he would have me be instead. Is that part of your conception of step seven? And I'd love to hear your answer. Uh, yeah, you can have that as part of step seven. Um, what I was saying is we can't get it there until God to remove and tell God to do what we want God to do. Uh, but now that you've prayed it that way, then we'll come to you from God that what you need to do, right? And so if I hear that old personality resurrecting and I give it back to God, then yes, then God's energy there, and I'm wanting to do what God wants, which would be the opposite of that. 
so that would just be the natural result from, right, of letting God run the show and be in charge. So, yeah, you would then go ahead and do that. But not saying, well, I'm in charge here. I'm going to force myself to practice the opposite, and now I'm in charge. That would not step seven. That's self-reliant. So, right. So, again, it's not the trying to do the opposite. It's the intent in the heart. Is this coming from God and you're doing what you're supposed to, or is this coming from self-will, trying to force it to be to something different, and I'm going to pray to make sure I get what I want, which is the opposite. The attitude is what I'm really focusing on. Because the mm. attitude is what makes it all work. Okay, mm-hmm. So ask that, those questions of yourself. That will tell you if it's you're working with God or are you just trying to take over again. Mm. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Kathy Kay. Matt M. Hello? Hi, Matt. Hi, thank you, Leah. Hi, Ruth. Thank you for your wonderful presentation. Um, can you um, tell me how what you did for that, that after your fifth session at one hour, how you did it, and what you did with it? Okay. Yeah, I mean, it was just coming home, finding a quiet place, or maybe not coming home. Maybe the kids are all crazy at home, and, and somebody else is taking care of them. Uh, it might be, I might, in my case, you know, that was fine. But if you have where it's going to be kind of chaotic, Go and find a place where you can be quiet, uh, no interruptions, no nothing to distract you, and just spend a time quietly with God. Um, and in that time, you will be thanking God, of course. Or at least I, I did. Okay, thanking God for uh, what happened in Step 5, uh, learning this, all these things that are not comfortable but necessary to know, uh, thanking God for able to have the level of, of Honesty we have, of course, that honesty will get greater as we continue to do more step work. But at this point, still, there's huge honesty. Um, so sometimes just praying uh, in gratitude and thanking and, and you know, is there anything, you know, that has been left out? I want to be complete and, uh, and something may have slipped me. And it's not intentional, as you know, but I'm willing to do that. Um, and then sometimes just quiet meditation, just seeing what comes forth. Um, a sense of being closer and nearer to God I, uh, is what I say, you know, just knowing I have been truthful and then having that sense of feeling more connected with God. Because you've been doing a lot of talking in five, and so now it's time to be not talking and just listening. And that's a different energy, but kind of calming it down and seeing what comes up. And I would have a pencil and paper with me. Let's say if you, for some reason, you... I don't know, can't be at home because there's too much going on, or you're going to be quiet, just have pencil and paper because something may pop in your mind and, and about something you didn't say. So you just write it down, you know, and just kind of jot it down and uh, whatever, and then that will be taken care of. So it, it's just a time of quiet reflection, thanking, praying to God in gratitude and, and seeing what else comes back, and just be willing to take an hour to do that. And if some thought comes to your mind, oh, no, I'm, I'm just just let it kind of come through and pass through and come back. Thank you. So it's, yeah. All right, thanks. Thanks, Matt. Jamie W. Jamie W. Thank you, Leah. Thank you, Ruth. Question. Can we get rid of the evil entirely? Uh, no, we, we're not even supposed to get rid of the ego entirely. Um, that would 
you you're not going to be rid of the ego is not an enemy. We sometimes see the ego as that's all bad. We got all that ego ego. Ego reduction does not mean legal uh, elimination. If you go to what Dr. Harry Tebow said, it's it's reduction to its proper size and portion in our life. We're not me- we're meant to have an ego. What's the proper function of an ego though? Um, the best thing I heard somebody say was the ego's proper function is it is the filter that takes what's in the unconscious to the conscious, and it takes what's in the conscious to the unconscious. And ideally, it would be doing that, and it's flowing. Okay, unconscious comes conscious. Need this now. Conscious don't need it now. Go into the unconscious. And that ego's perfectly, that, that filter that has that going perfectly, keeping everything in balance. That's the ego in its proper function. So we need an ego. We need for it to do that. But what we did in our disease mentality and our addiction is we had that ego take on a much large, grandiose purpose, which was we were using the ego to bombard life with to try to make it turn out the way we wanted it because we had to have it, based usually in fear, uh, and in resentments and things like that. And so we have to have that ego strong and take care of things and get it all done like the way we want. Well, no, it's not strong. It's now too, it's, it's grandiose, it's too large. It's not doing its proper functioning. It has things that need to come from the unconscious conscious that we're, it's, it's not going to have that happen. It's going to have things that should go into the unconscious that won't because we're going to continue to think about them like resentments and fears we won't let go of. They need to go in their conscience. It's nothing to be resentful about. It happened, it happened, who knows, whatever. Guy cuts me off, doesn't see me. Hell, he wasn't trying to go ahead and cause an accident on the highway. Let's get real, Ruth. He just didn't see me. I've, I've done that. I've not, I've not seen somebody in a blind spot. Get over it. It's fine. It now goes into the unconscious, and I never think about it again. But no, with resentment, well, guys, look at them on this road. Let me do overage. Let me chase them down the highway or something stupid. You know, that is now the ego not allowing it to be filtered into the unconscious in an insignificant event is now enlarging, you know, using ego to enlarge my resentment and now really just let it take over our fears. So we know we're never to eliminate ego. We are to let it take its proper place in our lives of filtering in and out what needs to come from one state to the other. That's his proper function. That's what we don't do when we're not spiritually mature. But if we are, something we didn't think about comes forth and we think about it. Why did that come to my memory? Ah, because ego needs it to let it filter right back in because there's something God's working with us that needs to be done we don't even understand. Or something from this moment doesn't need to be uh, exaggerated or made uh, unimportant. You know, it just simply filters it into the unconscious. That's its purpose. That's what we're striving to get it to just serve. It, it's to serve us and God. The ego is that piece of us that's serving, moving one from one place to another. So we have to let go of resentment, fear, and all those things to have that happen. And so, no, it is actually to uh, it is a picky component of us that's uh, drawing us closer to God and, and letting and the ego does the perfect work there to create that relationship with God even better. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks, Jamie. Roz G, your turn. Good morning. This is Roz G. You may hear a dog barking in the background. I'm on a walk. Um, come here, come here. Uh, my question, okay, I wanted to make a quick question, I mean a quick comment and then a question. My comment is that what you said about, you know, prayer and telling God what to do, 
oh, I had this, I had this revelation that uh, sometimes in my church group, we are praying and the, sometimes we are telling God what to do in our prayers. And I'm very grateful to hear what you said about the humility of not telling God what to do in prayer by removing character defects or whatever it is. So thank you for that. But my question is your statement about living in ambiguity. I went ahead and I looked up ambiguous while you were talking, and it means unclear, uh, not sure of the result. But what I got was unclear. So could you clarify what you mean by living, being, being able to live in ambiguity, please? Raj G, thank you. Okay. So for me, uh, the example I gave, uh, it is uh, unclear why I should travel south to get home, which I have to go north. So that's ambiguity. I don't understand that. That's not clear. That's not logical. Uh, that's not going to get me home. But I'm okay living in that ambiguity, and I'm just going to go to the next exit, turn around, and I'm going to go south because I know I just know that's what I'm supposed to do. That's ambiguity. That's uncertainty. It, it, we are willing to not have to have everything on our terms, our little plans and designs, and have it be logical for us as we see what's the next thing we're supposed to do or somebody else is supposed to do for us. Um, that's self-will. So when we live with uncertainty, um, then it's okay. If we know and trust God enough to just follow directions that are not logical, clear, uh, that, then that's okay. We'll do that. And that comes as we continue to get farther and farther in our recovery. I would never, I, I mean, I never would have gone south. And in fact, I, early in program, I wouldn't have gone south. What, are you, what is that? That makes no sense. I just would have driven home and never known the accident even occurred. So that's an example. We are okay with not having to be in charge, logically knowing what, as best we think it's logic. Sometimes we're motivated by things that aren't logical, but we think we're being logical. And let our intellect run. Remember Bill, you know, had the moment where the intellect that melted when Ebby's talking to him in his kitchen in late November of 34. He let the intellect go. And when he's in the hospital in December of 34, and that numerous experience occurs with God, he lets logic go. It is not clear. It's not making sense. And he just turns everything over to God, and then it all comes. It's the language of the heart, not the head. Intellect is head. The heart is where God speaks to me. He just, God doesn't speak to me in the intellect. So am I willing to live in the heart where there is times of ambiguity and uncertainty and uncomfortability? Am I willing to go there? Because that's where God is. And so that's what it is. Thank you, Roz G. Rifka A, your question, please. Thank you so much, Leah. Can you hear me? This is Rivka A. in Israel. We hear you well. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Ruth M. Just a powerful spiritual message you brought forth, and um, you had me all ears, and uh, I'm just so grateful to be able to uh, have made contact with Vision for you today. Um, I do have a question um, listed on page 78 of the big book halfway down the page, it talks about perhaps we have committed a criminal offense. Well, now, in reference to um, a sponsee who has 
obviously made a criminal offense. It could have been murder, um, theft. Um, what is your response? I'm sure that you're going to come up with the thought on prayer. Um, uh, how how to handle that? I, I've heard um, I've heard information in regard to um, seeking uh, professional counseling on that. Uh, going to the proper authorities. So I, I wonder what is your take as uh, a sponsor for many years? Uh, what is it that you would uh, advise? Um, surely we don't really know how to give advice on this situation, but um, I would like to know what is your what is your response to something like this? Do you tell your 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 sponsor? Um, not giving full detail, but uh, how do you approach this? Thank you. This is Rivka A. All right, so um, this would be uh, step eight work. You're working with your sponsor about how to approach it. Uh, I can't yeah. say that this is the answer for every time there is a crime committed. Everybody should do X behavior. Um, we have to look at the context of what this is about. Um, so, again, depending upon the details, I would say if I'm not really, you know, if I don't really know what to say, yeah, I would obviously go to my sponsor and talk that out. I could even actually ask somebody beyond my sponsor who may not have the expertise of how to handle what I would say to the sponsoree. But the bottom line is um, there has been something that needs now a ninth step. We need to talk about how that ninth step is properly done. Uh, so, yes, there have been things that I've been told that were criminal offenses, and there is an answer. Let's say something like, let's, let's give an obvious example. A lot of people have done this. They go to the grocery store, they see something, and they pick it up, and they eat it, and they get to the checkout lane, and they show the clerk the wrapper, and it's rung up, and they pay for it. Um, that's called shoplifting. You don't, get to buy, you don't get to eat your food before you pay for it. Uh, <laughs> but we addicts have done that. Uh, so we come, and what happens, because now we've paid for it, even though it was improper, eating food that was not ours to eat, they're not going to arrest us for shoplifting. I mean, they're just not, because now we have paid, and they really don't get to arrest you until you actually leave the premise with the item. Then they arrest you because it's, it's shoplifting, because your intent is to get out of the store with it, or in this case, eat it before you pay. Uh, so... On that particular situation, it was technically a crime. It was shoplifting. And you can say, well, I don't need to do anything about that because, you know, blah, 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 blah. Well, no, not really. You still go to the store manager and you let him know that this is the behavior I did. It was inappropriate behavior. I'm sorry for any harm it caused you. That's why they have security cameras up in grocery stores now. I think we've helped cause that with our uh, with our shoplifting. I was done for other reasons. Um, and so that then would be uh, an amends that you would make um, because now there's additional cost for those cameras to be up, and that additional cost is passed down to us in the items that are bought by people. Uh, so not only us, but other, others are having to pay more for their food to pay for the cost of people that do shoplifting in the store. So I'm giving you that example. That would be a pretty clear cut. You're just going to go to the person and talk to the manager. And if that, if that store doesn't exist, you go to a manager of a grocery store that you do go and say, in the past, this has not been the store, but I have done it. You know, I want to make amends because I know the damage that is caused. And you still honestly talk to that manager and cover that. So that would be an example of something in that context. Um, if it would be something 
where uh, they talk about it here in the example. If I go and uh, say, you know, the, the guy goes and, and spreads rumors about his business uh, person he doesn't like in town and he claims something, uh, he gets money and then claims he never received it from this man, and that, you know, so now he is doing something that's wrong and uh, claiming now that the other man did not do something properly which would have maybe been a crime. He didn't pass on something he was supposed to, and it was legally binding. So he has lied about it, and that he has to clean that up. But if he was the person that didn't return something, did not make reparations for harm done, for stealing or harm done to somebody, yes, that would be something you would do in your ninth step. Reparations are a key component if you've done things like that. If somebody's, uh, I've worked with, uh, I'll give you an example, somebody that, I sexually abuse children. I've, I've had that come up uh, because of my professional life. I've, I've dealt with uh, people that have had that history. And so sometimes uh, somebody will even come to me and ask. I had one where a sponsor, his sponsor sent him to me. He says, I don't know how to handle this. I know what you do. Why don't you maybe talk to him about that? And, you know, so I, I, I was uh, talking with this man who had done this many years before, didn't even know the names of the children. Time had passed. He felt mortified. Uh, was not going to be a risk to reoffend. He had done this back when he was eating, and he felt horrible. So my response was very clear for him. You needed to make amends, but you don't know um, who these children are. You can't find them, but you're still going to have to make amends. So what he did um, in that case is, um, and I'm convinced, there was another one that did the same thing. And with her case, I said, I want you to write a letter to those children and just write out uh, an, an amends letter. And then um, she went to, uh, I know, like the best of the best in the area that worked with victims and perpetrators. So she went to uh, this, this therapist and said, I'd like you to, I'd like you to hear this letter. I, I've written a letter. I know I can't find it, but I, I want to listen, have you listen. So the therapist listened to this letter, and then she gave the letter to the therapist that if there's somebody that needs this in a future counseling session, who they the perpetrator maybe they there's no way the perpetrator could come and and talk to them, um, based on maybe the perpetrator died or whatever. They she could pull that letter out and said, you know, this isn't this isn't, but this somebody did something just like this to you. This person came and gave me this letter. So then the, the therapist got to use the letter with these children that had been victimized from somebody now that had written the letter because of that. So, see, that was part of that amends. Um, and uh, the one the one I was first talking about, then what I had him do, I said, well, then I want you to go, there's these two, these are the best, go to either one and tell them the truth of what you've done and what you can do to be of service. Uh, but uh, I need you to be of service to them. And, uh, you know, and so I knew what they did, and usually that's in group therapy. And so he went and he sat in sessions every week for a year, in that session with these perpetrators, with he as a perpetrator, and he's like, oh, my God, this is disgusting. You know, and he then heard other atrocities and would confront them because he, was already, he already came in the first day and said, you know, I did it. And so he was there helping perpetrators take responsibility so they would not perpetrate, and that's how he made it amends. So that's a criminal offense, but it worked out. It works out in these ways that people maybe wouldn't think of unless they knew how to make amends when they don't know how they can get to the ones that are victimized and make amends to them directly. So there's plenty of answers to this. I'm just giving you a couple examples. We could go on and on with examples. But, again, I need to know context of what we're talking about and then how does it Amends needs to be made, but there, and there's multitudes of ways to make it depending upon the context of, of the, uh, the crime that was committed.
So I can't give you a specific on your case. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ruth. Thank you. Anyone else have a question this morning? Let's keep our focus on steps five, six, and seven, please, for our questions. Steps five, six, and seven, in the interest of time. Katie G. from Boston. Katie G. One moment. Who else? No problem. Beth L. Beth L. Anyone else? Gina R. Carlisa, please. Oh. Gina R. I got you, Carlisa. Thank you. Okay. Nice group. Katie G., go ahead with your question. Leah, can I be heard? Yes, you can. Oh, sorry. I was unmuting while you called my name. Hey, guys. Um, Bruce, Leah, thank you both so much for your service. It's been delightful to hear. Um, my question is a little bit of... Um, along the lines of Kathy Kay in terms of character defects, um, just a little bit different angle. Um, do you have what suggestions do you have for sponsees, or do you practice with the character defects that keep coming up? I know that I need to practice the humility. Okay, God, like it's coming up. I don't get to decide when it uh, occurs. But any other, I understand cognitively practicing the opposite. Uh, it doesn't always happen, and I just was wondering if you had any other um, suggestions on that. Um, thank you. Well, uh, sometimes, you know, once we find out, you know, about this defect and really what, what's happening and the harm we did people, we want it removed now. Uh, but it may not be removed now um, that we have to understand we don't understand the best for 7 billion people all at one moment. So are we willing to just have God on the show? Let's say that that character defect is not going to be the focus for the next, I don't know, two and a half weeks. We've got to find another one that knows you need to work on that one first, but you don't know that. So I would not so much focus on what can I do to get rid of this now, because that may not be God's will. Rather, I'm just focusing on what do you have for me to do. If I come and honestly pray this prayer, I will not ever be bored. I will never not have nothing to do with my character. I just never have that. There's no one day where there's not something I'm supposed to be doing. So I just trust that what God has me do will be what's best for me. And I don't get so wrapped up of what can I do to get rid of that one because I want to get rid of that one. That might be the wrong order. It might be something else that is more important. So I really just try to get my ego out of it and trying to dictate uh, what I want from it. I'm really more trying to just let God just give me, give me information. I mean, when I'm praying, God's going to give me what to do. And, and like the accident, I, I didn't have any idea that was going to happen, but it was done. I was supposed to do it, and I did it. But, you know, it probably was set up by, you know, prayer meditation in the morning like I always do. It was probably set up by all the moments in my life up to that moment that I was trying to do what God wants me to do. So it's okay to just focus on what God wants. And if a defect comes up, I'm like, whoa, I'm still not really let, willing to let it go. Because step six is willing to let it go. So is the problem step six? Or is the problem step seven? It could be step six. I, I'm not really willing to let it go. We'll pray the six-step prayer because it keeps popping up. So the prayer is given to us. If, I, if it keeps popping up, if we still think something we will not let go of, we ask God to help us be willing. And that's our prayer. So in your case, the first thing I would do is just pray the six-step prayer and keep praying it. 
and then trust God to give me the directions of whatever I need to do to deal with that or anything else. It's, it's again, the ambiguity is, and uncertainty is not knowing how this all is going to get worked out, but I'm still comfortable with whatever God gives me, and I don't have to be in charge of getting rid of the defects as I want them to be rid of. So attitude's the key, again, as I said to her. Attitude's the key. If my attitude is proper, then it all gets taken care of in its own way, in its own time, and I look back and go, man, that was better than anything I thought of, how this all got happened, how this worked out. Um, so, I, you know, just, just do what God gives you for that day. Now, that sounds to me too simple, but that's my approach. Just what God gives me to do, to work on, that's what I'm to work on. Don't worry about anything else. That's lovely. Okay. Thank you. Bess L., your turn for a question. Hi, Leah. Good morning. Thank you for your service, and thank you, Ruth, for that wonderful presentation. I'm going to go all the way back to step five where you started and ask about do you do anything specific to prepare your sponsee for their step five? I'm fairly new to sponsoring, and I'm wondering should I be saying something when they're nearing the end of their step four about you know, if they're afraid to to bring anything up, I've heard it before, I will still love you afterwards, or any of that stuff. I haven't been doing that. Um, but I wondered what you do in that in, before you t- hear a step five. Thank you. Uh, well, the best preparation for step five is step four. Uh, if we've done step four the way it's meant to be done, we sure want to get rid of it. Um, we We now see things that we never really understood about our personality and all the damage we're causing. So I'm usually, when the person's doing four, they're checking in. They're not necessarily doing a piece at a time with me, but they will check in, how's it going? Yeah, it's going, you know, okay. And they may have something that really they're kind of struggling putting down on paper. So I'm already with them in four. And when we get through four, we do the step four promises, and we already see right there there's some really powerful promises. So they're now willing to do five. Um, And so uh, the only thing I would say to them uh, one of the things for me I'll do is I'm going to block off amount of time in which uh, we'll probably go somewhere or maybe we'll meet somewhere where there's no interruption. So, yeah, if you're needing to do a step five, don't probably do it with your kids in and out of the room. That's probably not a good idea. So I would say, yes, let's find a time and a place where there won't be any interruptions that we can sit down and do this. And so my experience in uh, fifth steps they're usually not less than two hours. If they get less than two hours, then maybe you're not real in-depth. And, you know, four, something like two to four hours. Sometimes I get them a little long, going to five or six. But I'll set aside. I'm blocking a time aside, so I'm going to set aside four hours. I mean, if it gets up to that, we'll probably have to stop and then come back for a second appointment. But most of them are all done in this two to four-hour period. So I'll set the time aside, and I, that's no interruptions. There's nobody bothering me. And also the sponsor has to know. Let's make sure we have a place uh, where there's no interruptions. Make sure the cell phone's turned off. Nothing. And so that would be. We would create the place and time where um, there there won't be anybody overhearing us, you know, or she's wondering, oh, I'm people walking around me. Find a spot in a place to make sure it's appropriate and then just go at it. Um, but we'll do that in our conversation. Um, so other than that, no, I don't have to tell them a lot. You know what, I if I need to say a lot about me, why am I talking so much about me? I, at that point, they probably trust me that I'm not going to repeat anything they say, that I am going to give them a sacred space, that I am, um, you know, I'm, 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 I'm ready. 
And that's what they need to know, is that the receiver of this inventory is that which God, who God wants and you're comfortable with more than uh, telling them what to do. Don't be fearful. But I don't need to tell them that. They may just be a whole bunch fearful, and that's fine. We'll pray before we start the, the fifth step, and if they want to say I'm real scared, let's just pray on that before we start then. Um, so I, I don't get a lot of directions other than, you know, just the place and time, make sure that's appropriate for the event. Um, I don't give them, no, I don't give them too much advice. I really don't need to because we've already, we don't really need to at this point because we've already been working together and we have a relationship such that we are, should be comfortable with each other. And if they have some particular thing that it'll come up and then we'll talk about it as we start the fifth step. Thank you so much. That was very helpful. Thank you, Beth. Gina R., your turn for a question. Good morning, Leah, and can you hear me? Yes. Um, hi, Ruth. Thank you so much for your presentation. I think you may have touched on some of this with Katie G's question. Um, but if you could amplify just a little bit more when someone is continuing to have that character defect pop up, such as lying. Um, was I hearing you correctly saying that really is going back to step six issue? Uh, yeah, if, if a person's not willing to let go of lying, then they would pray the step six prayer. Please, God, help me be willing to let go of lying. It's, if they've done the inventory, they know that's there, they know they have to let that go, and they're not willing to let it go, then then you would pray to be willing to let it go. That's a six-step prayer. Um, now, the other thing is sometimes expectations. Now I found out I have this character defect and I want it gone, and how come it keeps popping up? Well, gee, we covered it that you've got this defect entrenched, according to your mother, from birth on, so, and you're, I don't know, 50 years old, you might not have it just go away. So it is, uh, the defect is going to be just like with the food. We're looking at intensity, frequency, and duration. If this character defect, if the intensity of each moment is less, if the duration of it is less, and the frequency of it is less, then it's going away. Mm. So don't get all whacked out if it's not all gone yet. If the defect is going away and, we, and you can see it's continually, you're getting better and you're continually praying and it's continually decreasing, then okay, that may just be God's will. God does not necessarily flip a light switch for each defect. Oh, time, it's gone. It may be because it's so deeply entrenched that the light switch starts, it's going to come off and on. It's like, here we got the current going, now we don't. We got the current going, we don't, because God starts to do what God wants, but then we kind of pull back, and then God does some more, and then we kind of pull back. So if the defect is going away in frequency, intensity, duration, then continue to do what you're doing because it's going to go away. But even then, a, a deep, entrenched defect could be you don't act out for a while and suddenly whatever happens, it's starting to manifest again. Whatever that could be. And so we can see that happening, which doesn't mean failure. But on the arc of the progression of, the, of that defect diminishing, on the arc, the big picture, we see it going away. But on a given day, it seems like it's, oh, my God, it's all back again. That's not a negative. Don't, don't, it's fine. It's long as, it, as you can see that you're willing to let it go. That's your part of it. God's doing God's part. You do your part. 
it will go away in its own time and place how it's supposed to if you continue to be willing to let it go and continue to, and then your sponsor can be checking to see it's kind of going away, but you may not see that. That's really helpful. And also, thank you for um, clarifying that uh, just paying for the package is actually stealing <laughs> in the store. <laughs> it is. Yeah, thank you. All right. Bye. Thanks, Gina R. Carlisa C., your question, please. Hi, good morning. Thank you, Leah, um, for your service, and thank you, Ms. Ruth, for your service. I, I have listened to your tapes, and it's a, with great appreciation and gratitude that I get to say how uh, how uh, they have blessed me as this talk this morning has. Um, and I want to just focus in on a couple of things that you said because it occurred to me that this these may be things that are up for me. You said early in your talk that our God has to be big enough. Um, and then you said as you were traveling south, south <laughs> and listening to your small directive voice, um, you were focused on, in, in your thinking on maybe it's about gas prices. Right? But in, on this level of the spirit, the level of the heart, and the realm of that, uh, what the unknowing, that was something bigger going on. And uh, I, I, um, as I was listening to you, I knew something big was coming, and as you were creating a sacred space, what came up for me is that if I think about I'm being called to, if I think about what I'm asking God to do every day to use me, I get scared <laughs> if I think about it. If I feel about it, I'm not so so scared. But if I'm thinking about it, I'm getting scared. What What can you suggest? I know this is personal, might be a personal question. What can you suggest to enlarge my um, spiritual life? And to me, this doesn't only go to 12 or 11 or 10, but goes to this very hard work that we're talking about doing. With that, I pass. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, for me, the, the steps are so perfectly written that each one of the steps has ego reduction. That is, ego to come and take its proper place in my life. So um, each one will get me there in the order in which they're written. So how do I enlarge my spiritual life? Well, I have entire abstinence in step one. Because if I don't have entire abstinence, then the physical allergy and craving still it manifests in me. Maybe not as strong as it did, but it still, and it eventually resurrects itself and becomes stronger. So the first uh, thing to enlarge my spiritual life is take out that which blocks me from having a spiritual life, which is my addiction. So it can't exist. I have to be willing to surrender my addiction to God and then practice entire abstinence every day. That enlarges my spiritual life, right? Because it, it, the blockage is what prevents me. See, when, in our culture, we're inundated with this message that we're supposed to do, accomplish, achieve, et cetera, right? But that's not reality in the program. We've, if Maybe that was purpose, maybe, but we've messed that up, even if that is our purpose. I don't really think it's our purpose. But let's say it is we're supposed to do and achieve and accomplish. We are human beings, not human doings. And as human beings, this is what this program brings us back to, our hu the essence of our human being, not doing. So when I let 
the food take its proper place in my life and don't put those binge food ingredients in my body, then I am being what I am meant to be, which is not a glutton, you know, not practice gluttony. I am a glutton, but I'm not practicing it. So do I become more of the human being I'm meant to be? Yes. And then when I say, okay, I'm willing to, you know, here's something greater than me. Well, I'm willing to accept that as the solution. There's ego reduction because it's not me. I was the center of the universe. I was the most important thing. Now I'm going to say something greater than me is going to be the most important thing. That is ego reduction. And in doing that, I am then becoming more of who the human being is, which is to work in harmony with something greater than me. And collectively, we work together as God directs, and when God and I and I remove the blockage. Then that then that vacuum God comes right through out to people. So I see that, and my decision to move towards God's will and not towards self will. That decision in three again is ego reduction. I am getting closer to God just by making that decision. Uh, and so yes, four same thing. I'm writing this all down. I'm beginning to really know who I am, which I did not know because my self will blocked me from truth. Self will does not live in truth. It lives in selfishness. You know, that's that's a story. So it's going to have a lens. We don't see with our eyes. We see through our eyes. We do not hear with our ears. We hear through our ears. And as we see through our eyes and hear through our ears, we are seeing through the lens of selfishness. And the lens of selfishness will not give us a true picture of what we're looking at. So we will be more connected with God if we then do that. And five, the same thing. Every step is to reduce the ego to its proper purpose and removing, reducing the ego and removing these excesses that we live in. Because the excess of food is just an example of the excess of our personality. The belief that everybody should do what we want, when we want it, how we want it, when we want it, where we want it, is excess. It's called selfishness. So that excess has to be let go of. But self-will cannot kill self-will. Self-will cannot get rid of self-will. That is self-will trying to get rid of itself, which won't happen. Self-will will resurrect even stronger and not let it happen. So we're using, we're trying to take something to kill itself, which won't work. So by just doing the step the way it's been meant to be done, as the big book tells us, the ego is reduced and the self-will has less and less influence. It's all going to work on its own. I'm just saying, just do what the big book says to do. And ways beyond your possible imagination, you will at times look back and go, my God, I couldn't have ever done that. And you're right. And it all gets worked out. So no need to worry about it. Just do what the book says, and you will get unbelievable results. Beyond your imagination. Beyond your ability to think through them. The heart will work. The heart connected, my heart connected with God gives me ability to do things I couldn't do. And being willing to even go to my heart took time. I mean, I wasn't even willing to go there at the beginning. So don't worry about it. Just follow the directions is all I can tell you. Pass. Thank you. Thank you, Carlisa. Anyone else have a question for Ruth this morning on steps 5, 6, and 7? Press star 1 to unmute. Identify yourself, please. This will be our final invitation for this morning for questions. This is Kathleen. I'd like to ask I have a question. Kathleen, I got you. Who else has a question? Harry B. Cynthia C. Harry B. Leia S. Cynthia B. 
Cynthia C. I'm sorry? Leah S. Yes, Leah S. Cynthia, your first letter of your last name, please. C. Deborah from Manly, Oregon. Leah. Who's from Oregon? Mary Lee. Okay, thank you. Appreciate that. Okay, that's a nice group. Kathleen, go ahead with your question, please. Thank you. Um, thank you for the meeting, and Ruth, thank you. It's such a dynamic, um, recovery-filled message. I'm just so glad I showed up for this this morning. I, while I could ask this question to you, I wanted. I don't have a specific question. I just wondered, like, for the sex conduct part, that often doesn't get talked about too much. Um, could you just say something about that? I wish I could be more specific. I just don't, I just want to hear something from you on it. Thank you. Ruth, okay. say something about sex. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We're all ears. We're all ears. It's so general. I can just, I got the whole world in my hands. Anyway, no, I'm just being funny. Um, anyway, so uh, sex conduct. Um, so when we, um, first, I think the important thing is we're doing it the way the big book's telling us to do it. Um, and so, uh, of course, the joke Joe and Charlie always t- tells, um, the joke about six, page 69, nice, I won't go there. But the point is, if you want to know about sex, think 69. And that is true, because on the page 68 through 70 in the big book is all you need to know about sex. So, uh, actually, that's kind of funny. But anyway, think 69. So it does give us clear directions when we did our fourth step. And so we look at sex conduct. So there, we look at it, I look at it from two positions. First, we have acceptable and hidden. And sometimes, well, what is hidden? It just means an affair. No, it doesn't mean an affair, just that. It means if you're thinking about having sex with your neighbor while you're having sex with your uh, partner, then that's still um, not fully present to the act, and so there is a hidden sex conduct. So it could be any thoughts you're having, any uh, desires that are really, um, you know, like you want to go, you know, get on the, I don't get on the computer and look at porn on the computer. Well, I don't know if your spouse would like that. Probably not. Uh, this is an act you're doing. That could be hidden, but it still counts you know, when you do all these things. So we look at the hidden as well as the acceptable. And so sometimes people have to be brought out. Let's really look at the hidden and see how it manifests. Some people are not thinking of all that. Unless they didn't do an action, it doesn't count. It does count. Any thought, um, any action that's hidden, okay? Then we look also with our sex conduct when we think of what we do, but we also look at what we don't do that's harmful, so an example uh, that person gave me doing her, four, her fifth step, her fourth step, was that she had gotten so fat that when her husband penetrated her, he couldn't get to the, the clivix, uh, which then caused her not to really have any satisfaction in having sex with him. So, But she took responsibility for her eating caused this obesity, which caused her not to have uh, the satisfaction she would want to have, and thus her part in that, it wasn't her husband, it was her. So the failure to have 
uh, a body in which she could have an experience she couldn't have, then she saw her part in that needing that caused her the obesity, and she was culpable to that, and thus she had to come back to her husband to make an amends for blame she had given him, which was improper. So this was then really looking at it, it's an entirety. And so the omission of uh, not having something can be that sex conduct and what we did with that. Uh, another is, um, you know, for me, I was so uh, shameful of my body and it's what it looked like. I thought, well, who in the hell would want to have sex with me? I wouldn't want to have sex with me the way I look. I can't stand what I look like because at that point I hated my body. So did I bring that attitude of me into the interaction? Of course I did because I was wrapped up about me and what I looked like, and that impaired me to be fully present to my partner. So I had to make amends for my selfish self-consumption about my body image that impeded us having a quality interaction and that was also something that I needed to make amends with so these things we don't necessarily think about but they are there and that's hidden my thought of my body being so fat and grotesque how could I really be and then I wasn't present that is hidden also so what I would be working with you um, if we were doing four step to make sure when we go over how to do the four step make sure you think of all those things and put those on the amends you need to put that on because that counts and then when we get to five and we talk about that, then, yes, how do you make amends? Well, in the case of this, I go to my partner and I tell her or tell him, you know, this is what happened, you know, and I wasn't present. Like, they, you know, they probably know, but maybe don't tell. I don't know. But the point is you still have to talk about that. So those are some examples. And surely working with your sponsor, when we're not fully present to the act and doing doing the act as and the level it's meant to be done, then how, what is it that is behind that? And that has to be cleaned up. So that maybe is giving you some examples to look into. All right, next one. Thank you, Kathleen. Perry B., your turn. Hi, this is Perry B. in Florida. Thank you for everybody that participated, and thank you for your service. Uh, my question is, uh, I've been in the program off and on for 30 years, and um, I have a sponsor now, and I, I tell her my food, but then there's times when I slip back into the food, and um, I ask her, you know, maybe she can give me an assignment to do. Sometimes I do the assignment, sometimes I don't. But to focus on always staying away from the sugar and flour seems to be my big issue because as much as I'm willing, I take back my will a lot of the time. And even though I pray for God to keep taking my will, you know, and giving me the will and the strength to stay away from these substances, I still feel sometimes my addiction just takes over and I become powerless and I feel once again that I have to start from step one and from the very beginning. And I haven't done a fourth step in a while, and I'm not working with a step uh, sponsor, but uh, maybe I should do that so that I can get more fully, deeply into the steps and obtain, because from this conversation today, I obtained a lot of wonderful knowledge, and I appreciate that I got onto the meeting, and I'm very grateful. So thank you for letting me share. Okay, so um, when we look at the big book, uh, it's very clear 
And if you can find it, not saying this, you let me know. Uh, but it's very clear that we are to have entire abstinence. Uh, and that's doctor's opinion, and that's description of step one. So that means you're to have entire abstinence as part of step one. You're talking about going and doing a fourth step. Maybe that'll help you do a first step. Well, it doesn't say in the big book, you know, just go drink and go ahead and maybe do a fourth step and maybe that'll help you get sober. That's not the way the book is written. Uh, I mean, I, I know you can find places where that's written, and actually the only literature actually says that. Um, but that's not the big book. So I'm coming from the point of the big book. Um, you may want to work it from not the way the big book tells you to work it. Okay, but I'm going to come from the answer of the big book. The big book says you have to have entire abstinence. And it's telling you that in step one, which means you need to do that in step one. To take step two, you need to have taken step one because each step is built on the other. Uh, a person said one time, Carpenter, that he had built a lot of houses, but he had never gone and in the air just built a fourth step with no steps below it when he built homes. That can't exist. So each step is built on top of the other, be it the carpenter making steps going from one level of the house to the next and then being us working the steps. So I'm simply saying to you, if you want to follow the directions of the big book, you will have to have entire abstinence as part of step one, which then enables you to move to step two, um, not skipping over steps and just, well, I'm not taking one. I'll just go take four and see how that works out. That's not what it tells you to do. So uh, I... If I was working with you, I would know you need to follow the directions of the big book. And not following the directions of the big book is not humility. And uh, we need to have humility. The other is that you said that, you know, sometimes you have power and sometimes you don't have power. Let me just correct you. You don't have any power any time. Even when you're abstinent, you don't have power. The fact you don't have power is why you have abstinence, because you're willing to accept the fact you don't have power. You never have power. You will never have power. You will never get out of the vicious circle. And you accept that reality. And when you accept that reality, you acknowledge you don't have power. So it's not that you have power because now you're eating appropriately, and later you don't have power, and you're not eating appropriately. Sometimes Sometimes you're willing, sometimes you're not. It's the fact of the mission of your powerlessness. You omit it, and omitting it means you acknowledge you never, ever have had it for a long time, and you never, ever will have it again, and you definitely don't have it now. So maybe the prayer might need to change and just be the prayer that you're looking at from the big book. So with that, I pass. Thank you, Perry. Cynthia C. Thank you so much. Hi. Thank you both for your service. <clears throat> this has been um, an amazing, amazing meeting. Thank you. Um, I'm not um, at steps five, six, and seven, but I hear, I keep hearing some um, mixed messages within the program. Um, and listening to Joe and Charlie, um, I understand that these steps, you know, generally they started off being worked in one day. There was another book that one of my sponsors had suggested to me, which it says, you know, this is a, these steps, you know, I think up through uh, maybe seven it was, you know, those can be done in a day, in a workshop. Um, and yet when working with my sponsors, it's, it's a much longer process. Um, and I guess I'm just trying to get a sense of, you know, I, I, part of me feels like I would like to move forward more quickly. I have an amazing sponsor. She's great, but it's a, it's a slow process of reading through the first 164 pages, you know, every night a little bit. Or, um, and I just, I, I guess I would just like your take on, on the speed of the process. Um, I don't want to go back out to the food, and I do think that moving forward on steps four, five, six, and seven, and eight, and nine would be huge. Um, and and making sure that I don't. So I just am I'm trying to get a sense of how your experience is of how it works. Thank you. I'll pass. 
Okay. So um, at the speed of working through the steps really is uh, the sponsoree is going to decide. So um, I'm working with a sponsoree who got through all 12 steps. She's ready to sponsor now, and she did it in two and a half months. Um, okay, some people have taken longer, but the reason it took the amount of time is one's willingness to do the program according to the big book. So when you come back to the origination of the program, you had only two places on the planet where there were AA. One was in Akron, Ohio, and one was in New York City. And uh, people um, would come in, you know, from other parts to come in. Well, they're not going to probably hang out and live in Akron for the next month. And, yes, they would come in. They would get whatever they could get, pack it in, and then uh, then they would be working with somebody wherever they went back to, or maybe they'd have to do phone calls or letters and trying to make it work. So, yes, there can be people that will go through a very um, not in-depth, working other steps, and then immediately turn around, and now let's do step one. We went through and we gave you a blitz. This is it. This is what we got. But now you're going to have to come back and write them, do them in more in-depth, and people can do that. Um, with the big book, what I've found is work each step the way it's meant to be worked, and then you will have God's grace to do the next step the way it's meant to be done, and then the next step the way it's meant to be done. So for me, um, I work with people. It keeps them plenty busy. Um, the two and a half months, I think that sponsor would say, yeah, she learned a lot. She did a lot of work. There was a lot of work to be done. And she's ready to go now and sponsor people. Um, does not have, not only does she not have the physiological cream, she doesn't have the mental obsession because it's gone. That's promised in step 10. So um, so for me, I basically look at, do you have you done what this this step told you to do? Are you getting the promises that this step promises you'll have? If you've done that, we'll go to the next step. However long that takes, we'll be resting on your shoulders, not mine. Um, I've heard people say, we'll just do it quick, but then we have to come back and really do them again anyway. You can do that. Uh, I guess if you're, uh, I mean, when I do retreats, some people will go ahead, we're going to go try to go through all 12 steps that weekend and talk about it, because some people are there in 12. Some people are there and they're not even taking step one. It's just the whole continuum of where people are at. But the presentation is given, and they have done a, uh, you know, let's say they're not taking step one, well, they'll listen and they'll take notes for the future, so when they get to that step, they'll be able to take it in some depth. So I understand that. So in that sense, that's what's happening. They're going through all 12 and understanding some basic, but the understanding has to be in the heart, not the head. If you've not taken step one, the best you can do is take it in the head, and that will not keep you absent. It'll get you absent, maybe it won't keep you absent. So you need to take it in the heart. Your mission has to be in the heart. And so you have intellectual knowledge and you have an intellectual taking of the steps. But the big book is clearly saying, and it talks about that uh, on page 25, that it, our, our creator enters into our heart in a way which is indeed miraculous. For that to occur, you need to take them in the depth they're needing. And so... For me, I do take them through so that that is accomplished, you know, each step as it's supposed to be done. And uh, so that's the way I do it. But I understand if you want to go somewhere and do a packed weekend with somebody and take a retreat and take some notes and everything and learn some things, that's great. And then that spurs you to go and now take the steps the way they've been meant to be taken, you know, in the depth they've been meant to be taken. The other is there could be somebody that comes in, walks in the door and says, it's, I'm it done, completely has surrendered 100% with absolute perfection as they walk in the door the very first time. Well, it's then at that point you could definitely be ready to take all 12 steps that weekend. But how many people walk in this door and have taken a perfect, an absolute 
100% with absolute perfection take step one the moment they step in OA's door. They have it in that first two seconds. How many people have this? They have it? Good. You can do all 12 steps probably in a day. I just don't find people do very often that walk in the door with that kind of uh, admission. They might have 95%. That looks good. Sounds good. But it's not, it's a, not 100. So uh, give me that person. And, yeah, we could do it in a day. I just don't find very many people at that level of willingness. Um, for whatever reason. So that's just my reality. All right, pass. Thank you, Cynthia. C. Leah S., your turn. Question, please. Thank you very much. Thank you, everybody. Um, my question is I'm working with a sponsor, and she says, a sponsee, and she says to me, I'll do step four and five with someone else in my hometown. And I say, okay, fine, go ahead and do that. There's nothing wrong in that. However, she comes back to me, and it seems like it wasn't done. And uh, she's calling me again. What is your take on that? Uh, well, I would just have an honest conversation with her. Um, if if you are sensing that it wasn't taken uh, as the Blue Book directed it to be taken, then you just would have an honest conversation with her about that, saying you're telling me blah, blah, you're telling me this. You know, it sounds like, to me, maybe it didn't get taken according to the directions of the big book. So can we talk about that? Maybe she's not expressing herself clearly and it really was taken. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe there's something else going on. Um, I would just have to have a conversation. You're sensing she didn't take it according to the big book, I guess, is what I'm hearing. And yes, it is my yeah, that's your guess. But it's her opinion. Maybe she did. So you just maybe have to sit down and take take a discussion. And, you know, sometimes uh, for me, I will um, sit down with the person and give my own personal examples. I mean, you know, this is what I learned. This is this is the form as I understand it. Um, when I go with, work with people doing four, we go over Joan Charlie's farms very thoroughly so that it's understood. And as they're doing each column, We'll, they'll check in and say, yeah, God, I seem to understand it, or whatever. Not necessarily going and doing that piece for me to hear the inventory, but just to see, are they working it according to the direction of the big book or the form that lays it out that way? Um, so that by the time one's done with four, it, it's apparent they have taken step four according to the directions of the big book. Now, you're saying, she's, I'm not going to work with you to do a four-step then you might need to know what's going on. Maybe that this is just there's some issue maybe she has with you that needs to be resolved, and you don't know what it is even. You need to just, this is... Yeah, that is precisely the reason I said, go ahead and find it, um, this other sponsor, this other sponsor, because obviously we are not relating. And she says, no, we are. It's just that as someone that might be closer, and I could do it face-to-face. I said, fine, you know. But then I was thinking, maybe, maybe something is with me. I don't know. I just wanted to hear what, 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 um, what would you, what, you know, it, it's not going according to the big book. That's 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 the bottom line. So, okay, okay I got so, the answer. Uh, yeah. With that, maybe she felt the need to do it face to face. But then yeah. you could still follow up. Well, can that can you do it with me over the phone? Which is fine. I mean, I've yeah. been to a fourth yeah. fourth step. Uh, halfway around the world, literally, we were eight hours apart in time, you know, this person was, you know, in the Middle East, and I was here, and the four-step still got done. So, 
it doesn't have to be. Again, if somebody's close by, I want to do it face-to-face. I would not have any of the people I sponsor locally in the St. Louis area do it over the phone unless there was some real reason. You know, I don't know. They were in a bed and they couldn't get out or something. I don't know, you know, in the hospital. Yeah. But uh, I, I would go face-to-face. But if it's somebody that I sponsor long distance, we do them by the phone, and that's okay. So if it's been fine and it worked for her as she perceives it, then just ask, could we just sit down and then do it over the phone so that I can kind of understand how to help you do six and seven? Because... You know, I've, um, there's something that seems to be maybe we're just not connecting. Or ask, first start off asking. No, exactly, exactly. Having that conversation is very important. You're Do right. That first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Thank you. Sure. Thanks, Leah S. Our final question for this morning comes from Mary Lee R. Your question, please. Good morning, Leah. Thank you so much for being of service and Ruth. Oh. Yes, I love listening to you. Um, my question has to do, you talked about writing the ego, or is there any literature or places to go? Um, I'm having a flare-up of edging God out, and I just wanted some more information on um, the right-size ego. I, I appreciate that you said that it's it's not getting rid of it but it's putting letting it do its job. Is that basically what you said? Yeah, I mean basically you're just gonna do the steps the way the big book tells you to do them and the ego will automatically, as a consequence of doing these steps, the ego will be reduced to its proper size and expression. It just will happen automatically. You don't have. I, I'm not going to take self will and make that ego be something different. Because I mean, ego is. We're really saying self will. The excess self ego is really self will. It's now taking the ego to its unnatural expression, causing damage to you and others. And so it is. It is self will. It's self will instead of God's will running the show. Self will runs the show. So the ego has now been used to have self will and riot. And so if you want to know how to do what you need to do, just follow the directions of the big book. They have worked, they have worked miracles for millions and millions and millions of people. Uh, we can go and read other literature and all of that, but the answer is already in the big book. If we do exactly, if we do exactly the seven-step prayer, we'll get some unbelievable miracles from doing the seven-step prayer, which we do as a part of our daily prayer meditation. We can go and get other things, but it's already perfectly written here, and it only needs a paragraph. So I would still come back to the big book. Now, if you want to know a little more about steps four and five, that you can go to A's 12 and 12 because it elaborates. It's not replacing. It's only supplementing and explaining in more words what instincts mean, for example. Uh, that book was written basically to just elaborate beyond, never to replace, but just maybe expand the conversation that's in the big book, to expand it to include some things that have been coming up, you know, of clarifications. But if you don't get to understand the big book, the 12 and 12 is not necessarily going to be helpful. You understand the big book said, oh, I wonder, let me read a little more about what what does an instinct mean? Oh, let me open uh, step four and 12 and 12. Well, that explains it. Oh, now I get some examples. Oh, I now better understand what a social instinct is. Yeah, I'm not a hermit. Yeah, that's right. We all human beings all have a social instinct of having some type of interaction with other human beings, whatever they may be. Okay, I didn't quite understand it to that depth in reading the big book. So now I've read and understand it there. 
So you could read it a little more there. But the thing about the ego, we cannot use the ego to force it to be its proper expression anymore. It's just saying the same thing as you can't use self-will because self-will. What we do is let go and let God run the show, follow the directions given to us every day, following those directions, the ego will automatically take place because God's giving the directions. So it's not about us trying to figure it out and get it right and get it done. It's following directions as given to us through a premeditation time, reading the big book, talking to our sponsor, other people in program that are recovered, working together, all of that gives us what we need, when we need it, and how we need it. Because if we are left to our own plans and design, we'll just miss the boat. It just we won't we won't we'll just be all about us. So I would just tell you to focus on doing the directions that the big book issue to work each step. It comes back to that and all is taken care of and more if you just do that. Hooray for the higher power. Thank you, Ruth. Thank you. Yes, thank you, Ruth, for your generous spirit this morning, spending time with us here on A Vision for You. It's been such a rich and profound presentation this morning and very, very helpful to many of that, I'm sure. Thank you very much for everything you gave us this morning. Let's close from page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.